Welcome back, friends. Lost Scarf here, and welcome to Kirby's Dreamcast, where we cover everything Kirby, from the anime to the games to the manga and everything else. Today is part 5 of our Kirby Superstar series, going over every detail about the game that we can find. Right now we're in the middle of talking about the games themselves and telling the gameplay as a story. We'll be going over Milky Way Wishes, the arena, sound test, the credits, any last interesting facts, and lastly, rankings as we wrap up this series. Don't forget, there will be a sixth bonus episode, which will be purely me ranking the entire Kirby Superstar soundtrack from my least favorite to my favorite. You'll want to see where you think songs measure up against my picks, I'm sure. As always with the gaming episodes, I suggest watching the YouTube version, as we will have gameplay in the background reflecting everything I say. Also, of course, go back and check out episodes 1 through 4 before checking this one out. So without further ado, let's get to it! Milky Way Wishes, or Ginga ni Nagai wo or Wish Upon the Milky Way, on the corkboard you see Kirby looking up at shooting stars. This is a level 5 mission, and it tells you how many stars, items, and clear rate you have. The text says Milky Way Wishes, Help! You must stop the sun and moon from fighting. Once in the game, you see the title screen, which says Milky Way Wishes, with stars in the background. This game has a tutorial room, and what's funny is Kirby's reaction when the game explains Kirby doesn't get powers from sucking up enemies. It'll say it, and Kirby goes, ah! He's like really surprised and scared about it. No, this time Kirby can change on the fly. He just needs to find the copy essence first. They're called deluxe copy abilities in this one. When Kirby finds them, Kirby can use the abilities forever and switch on the fly. The special copy abilities like Sleep and Crash can still be used in this game, but Kirby has to copy them like normal. The pre-render from the guidebook is odd. It looks more like the Crystal Area in Great Cave Offensive than anything I recognize from Milky Way Wishes. And like I said in the previous episode, the table of contents is also the credits for this one, so that's cool to see there. So after idling, you get the opening video, which opens with Kirby's name appearing with a star wipe. It looks pretty clean, pretty nice. It starts with Kirby staring at the Fountain of Dreams, which has the star rod in it, shooting a beam of light into the sky. We'll learn that this is happening because Kirby activated the fountain to get a warp star. Then we see a flashback of some time in the past. Why do we think it's a flashback? Because it's all in sepia. The story goes, One day in the year, question mark. The sun and moon fought day and night. We see the sun and moon clash in the sky, and it's causing the day and night to keep changing. Kirby looks up worried while Waddle D, Bronto Bert, and Poppy Bros Jr. are also there worried. Then Mark shows up with his bouncing ball and says, Hey, hey, hey! Can you make peace between the sun and moon? You need to ask the giant comet Nova for help! The shot then cuts to Nova while Marks is talking. But first, there's something we must do! To ask Nova, we must gather power from all the stars around us. Cut back to the present and Kirby is at the Fountain of Dreams. It'll be difficult, Kirby, but you can do it! A star generates from the Fountain of Dreams for Kirby to hop on and fly into space. We're counting on you. Good luck. The last shot is Kirby flying into space as the title screen goes up. So a couple things. First are the sun and moon. Mr. Shine and Mr. Bright? Maybe. Mr. Shine and the moon are both crescent moons, and Mr. Bright looks a lot like the sun. Maybe Shine and Bright are their weaker form so they can visit Popstar? One thing to remember, though, is Mr. Shine has always been a crescent, while the moon has not always been a crescent. Also, always keep an eye on the moon in future games and make sure it's always a crescent, because... It's a crescent because Kirby killed Nightmare there. Nightmare exploded and permanently made the moon into a crescent moon. So next, let's describe Marks. He's this little jester boy with no hands, and he's pretty creepy. Honestly, very creepy. And lastly, let's talk about Nova, and it's made of a lot of things. Going clockwise, the items on its body are a weather vane, several gears, a telescope, a wind-up key, a drafting compass, a globe, two atomic tubes, a grandfather clock pendulum, a pocket watch without numbers and its hands bent, a triangular ruler, a chain, several piano keys, a compass, and a light bulb next to the ring that lies on top of its head. Nova has two purple eyes, a cat-like mouth, and a small hole on its upper left corner of its mouth. The back of Nova shows four nozzles that form his main engine cluster. Describing it doesn't do it justice. It looks ridiculous. The only thing that looks more ridiculous is Swiss Army Knife Kirby and Kirby 64. Nova is described as a cat-like creature in all media, by the way, in Japanese. Well, you don't really see it. I, I don't really see it anyway. Just, I guess, the mouth, that's it. And in future games, we'll learn a lot of lore about Nova, like who created Nova. But for now, we don't know anything about Nova, except that it's capable of granting wishes. Something that was not expressly explained is what Kirby's doing. Kirby needs the power of the Fountain of Dreams of every planet in the solar system to awaken Nova. The warp star he uses to travel to the other planets is the star power of Popstar. Interestingly, it's the only star that doesn't get used to awaken Nova. One last thing to mention before we start is the freedom of the overworld. Kirby King can do any planet in any order, he just has to complete them all to finish the game. But we will do things in order, though. So let's start the story. Kirby stands at the Fountain of Dreams. Kirby wants to restore the Order of Night and Day through the power of Nova, so he requests the aid of the Fountain. 
As the fountain gathers its power, Kirby remembers waking up and seeing in the mayhem outside as the sun and moon fought for control of the sky. It was Waddle Dee, Brown to Burt, and Poppy Bros Jr. who woke him up, since Kirby can sleep through anything. They figured if anyone could do it, it would be King Dedede, but since he can't be bothered right now, Kirby's a good second choice. Kirby looked up at the sky and wondered what he could do. Maybe he could go up there and talk to them? Maybe over lunch? But then Mark showed up and told Kirby about the wish-granting comet Nova. Now, the star power of the Fountain of Dreams of each planet, Kirby could wake up this comet and wish for them to convince the sun and moon to stop fighting. Kirby figures this is a good idea, since maybe a giant being would be best for talking to other giant beings. As Kirby finishes remembering all this, the fountain finishes combining many stars together to give Kirby a warp star capable of traversing the stars. Kirby hops on the warp star and flies off. Up in space, Kirby watches as the sun and moon violently clash. Kirby suddenly remembers he killed Nightmare on the moon and wonders how the moon has been since it lost weight. Kirby then remembers he's on a mission and heads to the first planet he sees, Floria. Japanese name, Usubana no Hoshi Foria, or Flower Star Floria. So one thing I need to mention with the Japanese translations is the word star. You'll notice that we're going to planets, but in translations they keep saying star, which is Hoshi. And that is because it means celestial body. And that is the sun, the planets, the moon. All of them are under the same umbrella. So... Every planet is called a star in this, but it's just meaning celestial body. That's what's going on there. Floria is a lush green planet that looks like a big platform somehow. And right now it's in the middle of spring. But something feels weird here. They have Tukis and Slippies here, but they're different colors from Popstar. In fact, a lot of things are different colors. How curious. By the way, I didn't mention it before. Superstar is the last time we will see the Slippy enemy until Ultra. While Tukis won't show up again until Ultra and Mass Attack. Guess Kirby ate too many of each. Kirby then finds a star door and goes in and, huh? The place is similar, but it's suddenly summer now. Kirby can feel the summer heat and already misses the spring breeze. Kirby is confused but continues to explore the curious planet. He then goes in the star door again and everything's brown. It's autumn now? Kirby's little brain tries its best to comprehend what's going on, but gets interrupted by a plasma wisp attack. Kirby sucks them up and then Kirby remembers he can't copy the plasma wisp, so he spits them out. Why can't Kirby copy them? Well... Kirby had a dream where Mr. Tutorial said Kirby couldn't use his copy ability on this adventure and had to rely on copy essences, so Kirby does just that. He doesn't want to make Mr. Tutorial a liar, after all. Yep, that's the excuse we're giving. Kirby then goes into the door one more time, and yep, it's winter now. Kirby feels quite the chill, but Kirby also sees a new door. How curious. Kirby enters and finds the Ice Deluxe copy essence. Now I can make all the ice cream I want, Kirby thinks. And then Chili shows up and says, yep, let's make some out of the people here. Kirby and Chili then go back to Autumn Time, Floria, and charge through the planet. They needed Autumn because a big tree stood in their way in spring and summer. After having fun freezing everything, Kirby finds a door at the bottom of a frozen lake in winter. The pair, ahem, break the ice and go in. There Kirby grabs the fighter copy essence and Knuckle Joe tags in. Chili says it's been fun and goes off to enjoy the ice cream they made. Knuckle Joe can't wait to crack some skulls with fighter Kirby. And that's exactly what they do. They Vulcan jab and shuriken lots of enemies as they go through the different seasonal paths to get beyond more trees. Kirby then sees a door in a tree in summer and eventually gets to the other side of it. Inside, Kirby finds... Cutter Copy Essence! Sir Kibble tags in and Knuckle Joe says, Good luck and leaves! In the distance, one can hear many shurikens happening. Sir Kibble tells Kirby he's ready to help him save Popstar once again. He's even sharper since last time when they faced the Meta Knights. Kirby poyos and they tap blades. Together, they cut across Floria until they find themselves at a sparkling star door in autumn. To make things more confusing, they end up facing the Twin Woods in summer. That's an interesting fact. No matter what time you go into this door, it always goes to summer to fight the Twin Woods. Sir Kibble sees his arrival as serendipitous since he's perfect for cutting down trees. Turns out the Twin Woods came here to vacation from Popstar and just so happened to plant themselves in front of this planet's Fountain of Dreams. For some reason, Kirby and Sir Kibble think they're the Guardians, and now an unfortunate battle breaks out. Kirby and Sir Kibble quickly cut into the Twins and make them cry. They explain through tears that they were just enjoying the scenery. Kirby bows an apology while Sir Kibble says, Sorry, force a habit, I suppose. Kirby then grabs the sparking star of this planet's dream fountain, and by force of habit, the pair do a little dance. The twin would see this and just keep being sad. Floria is probably the most creative level in the whole game. It's one long room that kind of acts like a maze because you need to puzzle your way through with all the different doors, and also to get the copy abilities. There is one last fact I forgot to say earlier when we won over the Twin Woods fights, and that is... Capillars. Capillars spawn from the Twin Woods fights. They drop about three capillars when they do this attack, and Kirby cannot eat them. This is canon, one of the few things Kirby consistently shows that he is unwilling to eat. He hates the taste of capillars. Kirby refuses to eat them. 
Kirby, by canon, is scared of them. Probably because he doesn't like the taste of them. Maybe because he doesn't like the way they look either. Who knows? But this is one of the canon things Kirby doesn't like eating, and they premiered in Kirby Superstar. And we'll see them again in future games, especially ones with Twin Woods in them. That's just a funny trip, that this is something Kirby cannot eat. He just doesn't like it. I'm actually curious that these become the butterflies that he's such a friend with later on. I'm curious if it goes from that to that, but there's no way to canon confirm that. And with this sparkling star, the NJ Floria moves towards the Aqualus. You can see it in the sky with a bunch of just sparkles flying from Floria to Aqualus. It's pretty cool. The pair then fly off to the next planet, Aqualus, the water planet. Japanese name, Mizu no Hoshi Akurisu, or Water Planet Aqualus. So Kibble worries about Rust and wonders if he should put on a better coating on his armor. He also sees that Aqualus has its own castle in the background that looks like a color palette swap of King Dedede's castle. Maybe he comes out here on vacation, Sir Kibble thinks, as they dive into the ocean and run over a couple blippers. On this planet, they encounter more different colored versions of things from Popstar, like an orange Bronto Burt. After some swimming and water punching, Kirby finds a hidden door revealed by punching a bomb block. Inside, he gets the Parasol ability and Sir Kibble tags in Parasol Waddle D. Not a moment too soon since Sir Kibble was starting to feel like he was rusting. Parasol Waddle D hands Kirby a parasol and they hug. Let's have some fun, pal, says Waddle D. Kirby says, yeah, Poyo. Good time with the parasols, too, since they can be used well underwater. The pair then navigate a weird bubble ocean full of Gordos. It proves difficult, but eventually they get through, and Kirby finds a door out, and there they find the Meta Knights? Turns out they were vacationing out here, too. Seeing Kirby, they panic and attack. Fortunately for them, Kirby learned from the Twin Woods incident and breezes by them and goes into the door they were hanging outside of. Turns out it's a Knight's Barracks, and the Knights inside attack Kirby. Oops! Kirby and Waddle Dee defend themselves handedly and eventually run into Jukit, who wants a fight. But they're no match for a pair of parasols. With Jukit's defeat, Kirby is rewarded with the copy essence of Sword. Parasol Waddle Dee grabs the parasols to make repairs and tags in Blade Knight, who hands Kirby a finely sharpened sword and a link hat. Let's see how your swordsmanship has improved, boyo, Blade Knight says. Kirby Poyo's back. Kirby then forgets his lesson from earlier and together with Blade Knight gives the Meta Knights a bad day. They then find themselves in a water maze. It takes a lot of tries, but eventually the pair make their way to the beam copy essence. Blade Knight comments, You've proven you've improved with the blade. Well done, Kirby. He then tags in Waddle Dew and takes the swords to sharpen them. Waddle Dew says, Thanks for showing Waddle Dew proper respect when you're playing with him. Let's go! The pair continue to swim through the maze and eventually find their way out. By the way, if you're having trouble here, the answer to the water maze after getting beam and restarting it is down three times, forward twice, down twice, and lastly up. Kirby and Waddle Dew have a couple pancakes to celebrate their success, and then they go through the sparkling door. They come upon a familiar pier and hear the toot-toot of Fatty Whale. Unlike everyone else, Fatty Whale was on vacation, but upon seeing Kirby, he wants to give him a whoopin', so the fight breaks out quickly. Unfortunately for Fatty Whale, the pair keep charging up big beam attacks against him. He does give them trouble as he crashes his big body against them, but the pair eventually defeat him with big blasts from long distance. The pair then get the sparkling star from this planet's stream fountain and have a little dance. And just like with Floria, the energy of the planet moves towards Sky High. Japanese name, Ozora no Hoshi Sukai High, or Heaven Slash Large Sky, Star Sky High. Waddle Dew senses tingle as they land here. They're in the clouds. His people have a high affinity for clouds. He knows what's coming since they're in the clouds, and it's freaking him out. Kirby has some idea what Waddle Dew is sensing, but he's sure they'll be fine. The pair tear through the clouds and see new palette color swaps of denizens they've seen in the past. Like Yellow Tukis. Eventually, they find a power hidden by a star block in the sky, and it's a jet! Kirby puts on his plane parts while Waddle Dew tags in his one-eyed mechanical friend, Capsule J. Waddle Dew jumps into the clouds as J beeps hello at Kirby. They blast through the clouds together, very fast. The pair then find a long fuse and decide to use their jets to light it and find the cannon. Some chilly slow their progress, but they eventually get there. And just that quickly, Capsule J has the jet and tags in wheelies since they found the wheelie essence. Kirby wonders how Wheelie got all the way up here, but forgets about it quickly as he enjoys having an easy ride with Wheelie. The pair then end up in a cloud maze with sets of three doors that lead to many situations like Parasol Waddle Dees, and Dew, many enemies, Piper Senior and Juniors, many, many things. Eventually in the clouds they find a room with two yellow scarfies and a door on a stand. This door leads to Wing Copy Essence. Birdon swoops in for the tagging and Wheelie rolls out to go refuel. Together, the pair cut across the clouds to a sparkling star door with bombers and a sparkling candy. Kirby, of course, shares the sparkling candy with Birdon, and they run into... Cracko! With the help of the sparkling candy, they're able to ignore a lot of damage and throw feathers into Cracko's eye. But oh no! Waddle Dew comes out of the angry cloud. He's being controlled by Cracko! Eventually, Cracko is blown to pieces and Waddle Dew is free. They hug, and then Kirby and Birdon get to the next sparkling star and have a dance. 
Like, it's the theory that Waddle-Doo and the Krakos are related in some way, because they both have the same big eye and, well, Waddle-Doo's come out of Krakow, but nothing's been confirmed after all these years. Sky High's planet's energy moves towards Hotbeat as the pair fly there. Japanese title, Shakunetsu no Hoshi Hatobito, or Scorching Star Hotbeat, is a fiery planet that you wouldn't be blamed if you thought it was a sun. It looks like a sun. Kirby and Birdon land on the surface of Hotbeat, and Birdon immediately feels like a Kentucky Fried Birdon. The place is really dangerous with lava everywhere, and yet there's sleeping yellow noddies everywhere too. Thankfully, being able to fly helps the pair navigate the area fairly well. Kirby then comes upon a curious situation. A bomb block holding in lava. Kirby is curious and pops the block, which ends up cutting off the path they came from. But Kirby wonders why this was here. Kirby then finds a sparkling candy and they go back to the newly flowed lava to find a secret door. Inside is a bunch of pink burning Leos. Well, of course the firepower would be deep on a hot planet. Kirby grabs the fire essence and Bird unhappily flaps away after tagging and burning Leo. Leo feels perfectly at home here and can't wait to get extra Bernie here. They then find themselves in a fun minecart area and eventually find a secret in the middle of the mine track. It takes some time, but eventually they get in and find... Bugsy? He proves tough, but eventually they cook him out of his shell and Kirby gets the suplex copy essence. Bird and Leo then slaps Bugsy awake with a flip of their hair and it's go time. The world was now going to experience Suplex City times two. After traversing lots of dangerous lava, Kirby and Bugsy find themselves blowing through a series of cannons. It proves very dangerous, but eventually they get out and find the sparkling star door. Here the pair do battle with Camellio Arm. Interestingly here, Camellio shoots out multiple balls of paint and Kirby can actually suck up two at one time to access the Mix ability. And since I haven't told you before, let me tell you it now. Mix only happens when Kirby sucks up two powered enemies, or in this case, things at once. It allows Kirby access to all of their powers randomly. The portrait for Mix is Kirby as a bartender mixing a drink. This time the Mix leads to Mirror Kirby. The fight goes poorly and eventually Bugsy is knocked out. Makes sense, Lizard vs. Beetle after all, that's not going to go off well with the Beetle. Kirby then gets paint ability from Camellio's paint slime attack, and Kirby paints them green. Then Kirby remembers Camellio's cold-blooded and needs warmth and switches to ice powers to defeat them. Good thinking, Kirby. Kirby then victory dances alone. The power of Hotbeat then flies to Kavios, and Kirby follows suit. Kavios, Japanese title Doketsu no Hoshi Kaviosu, or Cave Star Kavios, is a big rock planet. You would be forgiven if you mistook it for a giant meteor. Ice Kirby lands outside of a mountain and ice skates right on in. Kavios is another interesting level in that it is a giant non-linear cave with sub-bosses and powers in various places. There's also lots of biosparks and gims here. Kirby runs into Chef Kawasaki first and gets cooked in ice form. Really weird. As Kirby defeats Chef Kawasaki and attains the cook ability, Shelly catches up to help Kirby. Speaking of ice, the pair eventually run into Mr. Frosty and it's a cold reception. Shelly then proves he's cooler than Mr. Frosty and Kirby introduces him to Suplex City. Kirby then goes on to body slam nation of domination tour across Kavios with so many beaten victims. No one is safe from Kirby, including Jew Kid, the Judo Kid. I don't think I ever explained that joke until just now. Eventually unable to watch any more carnage, Waddle Doo steps in and makes Kirby drop the belt. And just as Kirby obliges, they're ambushed by Poppy Bros Sr. Waddle Doo launches a bunch of big blasts at Poppy Bros Sr. and a bomb essence is revealed. Waddle Doo then tags in the mischievous Poppy Bros Jr. and wanders off. Kirby and Poppy Bros Jr. make the cave bigger as they go on a literal bombing run all over the cave. Eventually, they run into Big Mom and her cute armor isn't enough to handle their explosive personality. They then find a hammer and rock switch and Kirby laments not finding those essences yet. But then a wild Bonkers appears and Kirby immediately rips the hammer out of his hands after blasting him with bombs. After Bonkers is defeated, Kirby picks up his hammer and deems himself worthy. Bonkers then gets up and Poppy Bros Jr. convinces him to join Kirby's cause. The two get lost for a while, but eventually find their way to facing Bugsy again. He really wanted a rematch, but Kirby let him eat a hammer and it hurt really bad. They then progress to a deeper cave where they have to race a button press to a door while swimming. It's not easy, but they eventually get through it, and it would have been easier if Kirby had rock ability, which is what he gets after getting into this door. Bonkers then tags in Rocky, and Kirby welcomes him warmly. Kirby then grabs a sparkling candy and shares it with Rocky, and they sugar rush forward. Never seen a rock roll so fast. And speaking of rocks again, the pair go through a sparkling star door to fight Wham Bam Rock. Wham Bam Rock wants revenge, but he quickly learns that Kirby and Rocky are way harder than them. It's really helpful that the rock form makes them immune to all attacks, including grabs. With Wham Bam Rock broken, the pair grab the star and enjoy a dance. The energy of Kavios then travels to Mekai, and Kirby and Rocky warp star there too. Mekai, Japanese name Kikai no Hoshi Mekuai, or Machine Star Mekai, looks like a giant metropolis, the opposite of Floria, which looked like a giant forest. Random interesting fact is that Mekai gets the Kirby Invades the Halberd song, which I guess makes sense. The Halberd was a big technological marvel, just like this planet. And just like with the Halberd, Kirby and Rocky crash right into the city. 
The planet is very metal in the future punk kind of way. There's laser balls and jets and gordos and electric traps everywhere. Only thing out of place is the Sir Kibbles hanging around. After blasting themselves around, Kirby and Rocky get a sparkling candy and use it to break into a deeper part of the planet. So this area is interesting in that you can use a sparkling candy to skip through a dangerous part of it, which is spikes, heat, and electricity, or go through a bunch of platforms up above. If you take too long, then you have to go through the dangerous area, of course, and try to skillfully get through. Once through there, Kirby and Rocky fight the wind and get into a door. Behind the door is an elevator and a series of gims. Kirby ignores the gims and goes straight for the copy essence, and with that, Rocky tags in Gim, who can't wait to show off their sick yo-yo moves. The useful thing about Gim and yo-yos is that they are able to actually attack through walls. There's only a few of their abilities that do it, which are Beam and Mirror. The timing of Gim is very convenient, since they come upon a series of switches and doors. And they're way easier to get through with the ability to strike through walls. After that, they come upon an elevator that leads to many sub-boss fights. The fury of the yo-yos is strong as Kirby and Gim slap the crap out of Jukid, Mr. Frosty, Chef Kawasaki, Bugsy, Poppy Bro Sr., Bonkers, and Iron Mom again. With the defeat of all the sub-bosses, with Iron Mom being the last, the plasma copy essence appears. Gim then tags in Plasma Wisp and goes off to rest and repair their yo-yos. Plasma Wisp and Kirby then go through a sparkling star door, and they run to Heavy Lobster. Looks like somehow Heavy Lobster ended up on Mecha and got rebuilt on this planet. Unfortunately for Heavy Lobster, Kirby and Wisp charge up a bunch of attacks and they blast it to pieces again. They then collect the sparkling star and have a dance. The energy from Mecha, like always, moves over to Half Moon, and Kirby and Plasma Wisp fly off to that planet. Half Moon, Japanese title Tokoyo no Hoshi Hafu Moon, or All Night Star Half Moon. The all can contextually be endless or always, by the way. It is a very cloudy, dark planet, and it definitely is since it seems to be in perpetual night with stars everywhere. Kirby and Wisp, like usual, crash into a couple stars as they land on the planet. The planet turns out to be very, very windy, and the pair ride the winds to get to a warp star. With the help of the Warp Star, they get through some dangerous areas easily, and then they find themselves in a star mine and ride the minecarts to get through. Then Kirby spies something curious, a star block hidden under the stars. He breaks it and in the room, he finds mirror essence being protected by some Samiras. It's probably just one Samira with a mirror image. Kirby grabs the essence and Plasma Wisp tags in Samir. Kirby and Samira do a perfect rendition of the Marx Brothers mirror scene, and they move on. Yeah, I'm keeping that. By the way, this is the last power to describe. Mirror is one of my favorite powers also, by the way. It has a perfect shield that can reflect attacks, his main attack has a big spread and can penetrate walls, and his dash attack makes Mirror Kirby's. Also, Mirror Kirby is a jester hat like Beam, but it's red and sky blue. The power portrait is Kirby adjusting his hat in a mirror, and after getting through the mine, they take another warp star which gets them through another dangerous situation, and then they end up fighting Chef Kawasaki and Iron Mom. Fortunately, they're no match for the two Kirby's and two Samiras. Then the pair get caught in an updraft and have to dodge lots and lots of hazards as they climb. Eventually, you find a hidden door, and inside is the ninja essence being guarded by two Biosparks in a room similar to Samira's. How curious. Samira then tags in Biospark. These two climb up to the Sparkling Star door and immediately are attacked by Computer Virus. Computer Virus has become more viral and opens up with a witch attacking them. Kirby and Biospark immediately deal 92 damage. The witch casts ice and catches Biospark off guard. Then the witch gets sliced up by Kirby. Now a new enemy appears, an evil knight. He wears all gray with a shield and scimitar. Kirby and Biospark again deal 92 damage. Nice consistency. The Evil Knight stores energy and prepares for a big attack and takes 90 more damage from Kirby and Biospark. Since it's badly injured, the Knight decides to retreat instead of attacking. This will get corrected in Ultra. Retreat is actually Ray Shield, where the Knight takes 75% reduced damage, and it is significant because it causes Kirby and Bioshock to not finish it off because they only do 26 damage. Kirby and Biospark then finish him off. Lastly, a Red Dragon appears and it has a lot of HP, 324 to be exact. The pair strike first and deal only 38 damage. The red dragon blows flames at them and it does very little damage because they block. Kirby then gets an idea and switches the hammer. Kirby hurls a hammer at the red dragon while Boss Park throws Kanai's at it. And they end up doing 100 damage. This is something I actually realized late. You have unlimited hammers, meaning you can throw your hammer at them again and again and again. <laughs> the red dragon scratches at the pair with crescent attacks, but they fail. The dragon gets more hammers to the face and Kunai's to the face as well, dealing 148 damage. The dragon tries to retreat. In Ultra, this gets corrected as well to Petrification, which is a shield move that reduces damage to 75%. But hammer throws are too strong and the dragon goes down. With the dragon defeated, Computer Virus backs off. It awards Kirby 122 experience points, 2 greediness points, 2 humor points, 2 beauty points, 2 tenderness points, 3 ambition points, and 4 friendship points. The pair high-five and then grab the last sparking star and have a dance. The power of Half Moon goes towards Nova, and all that's left is Nova. But no, Kirby senses something and travels to a nearby star named... Question mark? 
On this mysterious star, Kirby and Bonaspark fight their way through a bunch of tanks and bombers. Eventually, Bonaspark gets stolen, though. He'll free himself in no time, I'm sure. The star is weird. It has flora, but also lightless areas. Kirby then finds the copy essence and Tack appears from the shadows. Kirby then asks Tack, Wait, I just realized you guys keep tanging in and out to help me out? Where did you come from? To this, Tack replies, Oh, all 19 of us have been hanging on to the back of the warp star. You just never look back there. I've actually been holding everyone in my bag. It's really spacious. I can fit so many friends in this baby. Tack pats the bag. Then from the bag, you hear Knuckle Joe yell, Hey, careful, will ya? And with that, they move on to Nova. Random facts before we get to Nova. Question Mark and Flora are the only planets with no mid-bosses. Question Mark also has the simplest background, which is a blue background with black foreground. That's it. Can you believe they did that? Kirby and Tack then fly to Nova to ask them to calm down the sun and the moon. Kirby arrives at Nova and uses the seven sparkling stars to awaken Nova. Nova then opens its eyes and says that it is... Ready. I will grant you one wish. But before Kirby can poyo his wish, Marx rushes in and knocks Kirby out. Marx then says, Well, I want to control Popstar. Nova responds, Okay. Three, two, one. Blast off. Marx then talks to himself as Kirby floats near him unconscious. Wow, it worked. The sun and moon are fighting. Go find Nova. Marx then transforms into a crazy giant wing thing. All my plans worked. Popstar is all mine. Now I can do anything. I must be going now. <laughs> As Marx flies away, Kirby wakes up in the coldness of space. The seven sparkling stars come together and give Kirby a starship to fight back. Kirby flies to go stop Nova. By the way, it's up to debate if Marx's true form gained power from Nova at this point or not. In Ultra, he does gain power from Nova as Mark's soul, but we'll talk about that in Ultra. The Sun and Moon then sense something is wrong as Nova's charges towards Popstar and immediately move to block Nova. As they do this, Kirby flies into Nova's body to fight it. The battle inside Nova is a side-scroller shooter, which is pretty fun. Kirby's starship is a warp star in the front with a cloudy chariot for Kirby to ride on and shoot from in the back. Kirby shoots star shots directly in front of him and star blades at 45 degree angles in front of him as well. He is joined by a helper starship, which is the Popstar warp star, turning itself into a starship. It's a big star with jet engines and a big cockpit to fit all 19 of Kirby's friends. Somehow the 19 are able to pilot this ship without getting themselves killed in the mayhem. The starships blast through many of Nova's defenses and navigate through many narrow areas. Eventually they get inside Nova's heart chamber, known as the Galactic Nova Nucleus, and have to fight the defenses inside. The defenses are turret towers that rotate towards Kirby and then rotate backwards to make it harder to hit them. They try to crush Kirby with the turret towers and the turrets themselves. No matter what, not all turrets can be destroyed before they go in reverse. With all defenses destroyed, Nova's heart chamber explodes, and more of their exposed part of their face explodes, and Kirby and Burn and Leo bust out. Kirby and Burn and Leo then land on the moon where Kirby killed Nightmare. Burn and Leo tags in Tack, who channels the power of the other 18 in his bag with his thief hand attack. Kirby elects to use Plasma as his form of offense. Marx is a scary being, by the way. They float over Kirby and Tack and have big yellow wings with spades at the ends and hearts at the bend of the wings. They also have claws along the wings, and its wing spread has crystals. Kirby charges up attacks and throws them at Marx. Marx fights back with crescent attacks and then ascends and drops seeds at them, which sprouts deadly spiky tendrils from the ground. Marx then disappears and teleports from the moon itself to attack them. Marx has so many attacks. Marx then charges up a big arrow attack and then drops a splitting energy bomb on them. All the while, Kirby and Tack chip away at him. But then Marx does a big mouth beam attack and completely sweeps the pair. It hurts them a lot, but they keep going. Marx then teleports around a bunch and does more of its attacks randomly. It then splits in half and creates a black hole and sucks in Tack! Things are looking dangerous as Tack is nearly defeated, but Kirby then sucks in his plasma power and blasts Marx hard with a star spit. The blast hits Marx so hard that it launches him into Nova, and Nova's eyes go wide as it breaks apart and explodes in the sky. Kirby, with the help of the Warp Star, flies home while Tack takes everyone back home too. The Sun and Moon quit fighting and go back to their respective parts of space. Kirby then goes home and has a well-deserved sleep. We are then treated to the credits as Kirby sleeps. We'll come back to these credits later. The song is pretty good, by the way. After completing Milky Way Wishes, you'll unlock the arena. Also, if you go back to the file screen, you'll see Kirby standing there triumphantly with Popstar above him, and you have completed stars 1 through 6. Two things, and then we're done with Milky Way Wishes. First is... Did Nova give Marx power? I wonder this question, because I don't know if there's confirmation. Can Marx always become that big giant thing, or did Nova give that power to them? Like, when he made the wish, did Nova go, here's some power, and then let's go conquer Popstar together, or did Nova go, okay, I'm gonna go conquer Popstar now? I don't know, there's no confirmation there as far as I know. Though in Ultra, after Marx gets popped into Nova, he takes his power to become Marx's soul, and we'll cover that in the future. Oh right, random fact in Smash Bros. Ultimate, 
they were going to make Marks way creepier in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, but they decided to tone it down because kids play the game. And one last fact has got to be the Star Fox reference of Milky Way Wishes. In Star Fox Zero, the battle begins, Sleepy Toad reads a Nintendo magazine, and the names Floria, Aqualus, Mechai, and Half Moon appear on the magazine's cover. Oh, one more thing is the personal thought. So, Milky Way Wishes is really epic, and it's pretty fun. I like this mode a lot, it's very enjoyable. Also, having endless hammers is pretty fun once you realize you can do that, and just being able to do whatever power you like on the fly is just really great to do. So now let's move on to Arena. So the final game is the Arena, Japanese title, Kakuto e no Michi, or The Road to the Fighting King. The corkboard image is Fighter Kirby doing a sideways facing jump kick in a coliseum. When you choose it, it says level 5, the arena, the final challenge. In his toughest battle yet, the pink wonder faces his strongest enemies. There's no cutscenes if you idle on this one, by the way. And when you go into the game, you see the title, the arena, and you get this hype music preparing you for a boss rush mode. So the way this mode works is pretty simple. You choose your power and help her at the start in a room with every copy essence. And then you fight all bosses and sub-bosses in the game at random minus the final match. There's five Max and Tomatoes for you to consume at any time, and two random copy essences are given between matches to use if you desire. You also get to see your next opponent so that you can decide whether or not you want to have a Max and Tomato before you move on, or if you want to change powers. There's only 19 powers though, so to keep symmetry in the starting area, they give you Sleep Essence so you have 20 essences total. It's hilarious. And this mode of course is the inspiration for All-Star mode in Smash Bros. Now, the arena games are not considered canon, but let's tell the story as if it were canon. It'll certainly be more fun doing it that way than saying Kirby just dreamed he had a 20-boss gauntlet. Sometime after Milky Way wishes, the denizens of the Popstar Solar System decide that they want to know who truly is the strongest warrior. Is it Kirby, or does he keep getting lucky? Or is someone else actually stronger? So the residents of Popstar build a giant coliseum and do their best to rebuild Nova. But all they are able to do with Nova is to remake their heart chamber. Marks then convinces everyone he's the best one for the job of organizing the brackets, and he seeds Kirby last. So now Kirby has to fight everyone in Dreamland one by one. Poor Kirby. Still, with the problems of Keiki, if he wins, Kirby excitedly heads to the Coliseum. Once inside, Kirby looks around at all the copy essences. He knows what to pick and grabs sleep essence to take a nap. <laughs> yep, that's Kirby for you. Then he wakes up and has to decide who he wants to aid him in battle. Everyone's excited to help and wanting to prove themselves with Kirby, but Tack gets a sneaky idea. Tack convinces Kirby to choose him and he stops everyone else in the bag again, that way everyone can help Kirby if the need arises. Meanwhile, Kirby chooses the hammer ability since it hits so hard. Bonkers, sensing his hammer is being used, reacts violently inside the bag, but everyone's able to calm him down before they all fall over and out of the bag. Kirby and Tack then hop on the Warp Star and fly to their first opponent. Kirby and Tack end up on a familiar pier. They both know what's coming when they hear the all-so-familiar toot-toot of Fatty Whale's pipe. This time I'm gonna make a big splash and prove my dominance, says Fatty Whale as he does a backflip over Kirby and Tack. He causes a big splash indeed and throws Kirby and Tack into the air. Fatty Whale constantly throws himself and makes big waves that drop flippers and rocks on the duo, but eventually Kirby hammers Fatty Whale back into the water. The pair take a breath and take on their next opponent, Cracko! Cracko rages as it must face Kirby again. Kirby's already blown them apart two times, but a third time's a charm, right? Cracko uses its classic lightning and waddle dew attacks, then it starts to pour down rain on Kirby. Tack, feeling like this was a good time for closure, pulls out waddle Dew out of his bag and waddle Dew breaks Cracko apart with a beam attack. So far so good, two bosses down and Kirby's only a little hurt. They next face the Halberd Reactor. Looks like they rebuilt it and a few other things for the arena. Kirby figures it'll be easy because he remembers how it went last time, but he and Tack eventually has some difficulty and ultimately, Tack gets hurt really bad. Tack tags in bonkers so he can lick his wounds, and Kirby eventually leads the lasers correctly to the gem to move on. Though Kirby is badly wounded, he sees that Computer Virus is the next opponent, and he likes to not have a Maxim Tomato yet. He also grabs the Mirror Copy Essence before moving on with Bonkers. In a familiar-looking cave, Computer Virus's screens appear and it summons a witch to fight the duo. Kirby and Bonkers hit them hard for 80 damage initially. The witch casts an ice spell which gets reflected away by Kirby's mirror shield. Then Bonkers knocks the witch out. Next, an evil knight is summoned. Kirby and Bonkers hit them for 70 when they appear. The knight then uses an ice slash, but just like with the witch, their attack is reflected by Kirby's mirror shield. This is why it's so good. Bonkers then hits the knight for 48 damage, while Kirby switches the hammer from a copy essence. The computer virus notes this by saying Kirby holds a hammer. The knight then stores energy and gets beaten for 98 damage, but then it casts a bunch of star attacks that luckily Kirby blocks as well. Then Kirby knocks them out. Lastly, a red dragon appears and takes 128 damage to the face with dueling hammers. They just can't handle all this wood. It scratches out the pair with crescents and penetrates some of Kirby's guard. The boy's a little more hurt now, but still alive. The dueling hammers strike back for 90 damage. The dragon breathes fire and Kirby dodges it. 
Then the dragon takes another double hammer beating and gets pancaked. Computer Virus then runs away without giving Kirby XP or points, which Kirby finds very unfair. The next opponent turns out to be Bonkers himself, so he tags in Tack and goes to get ready in the Coliseum. Kirby's still feeling confident, doesn't grab a Maxim Tomato yet, and hops on the Warp Star. First up, they fight Chef Kawasaki and Tack tags in Sir Kibble. Somehow stealing from Kawasaki leads to Cutter. <laughs> I guess from the cooking knives? Sir Kibble does the initial damage, and once Kawasaki is distracted, Kirby runs in and finishes him off. Then Bonkers comes in, and Tack makes the best fake Bonkers impression possible, and now there's three hammers flying in the arena. Bonkers is understandably confused and easily dispatched. Lastly, Bugsy comes in to fight, and Tack does the same trick on him. It almost doesn't go too well because Kirby's nearly defeated, but fortunately Tack is able to distract Bugsy enough for Kirby to finish them with a curved star spit. It was very impressive and the crowd went wild. Kirby then has a sigh of relief and wipes his brow. That was close. Kirby then grabs a Maxim Tomato and picks up another hammer for the next fight. Kirby then grabs the Warp Star and transforms it into a starship and Tack does the same to help Kirby. Because they're fighting Nova's Heart Chamber again. The memory of the fight with Nova is fresh in Kirby's mind, so he knows exactly what he needs to do. With a bunch of smart flying and just quick shooting, Kirby's able to defeat Nova in less than a minute. Then Kirby sees whose next opponent is, and Kirby is shaking with terror. He takes a deep breath because he knows what he must do. He must face his greatest opponent. Kirby must now fight a Waddle Dee. <laughs> Waddle Dee actually thought it was a cooking competition since Chef Kawasaki entered, and he didn't realize it was actually a fighting competition. Upon seeing Tack and Kirby arrive, Waddle Dee asks Kirby, So what are you going to make? Maybe pancakes or waffles or French toast? Waddle Dee then pulls out a big plate of pancakes and Kirby couldn't contain himself. Kirby's hunger is too much and he sucks up Waddle Dee's pancakes and Waddle Dee. And with that, Kirby defeats Waddle Dee easily with no trouble. Kirby then realizes his error and pops up Waddle Dee as he goes back to the preparation area to do his next fight. Aside, this is probably my favorite fight in Superstar because it's just Waddle Dee. Everyone's here to be a challenging fight and then you fight Waddle Dee. Now, in Ultimate, what's cool is it's going to be Bandana D, so that's pretty sweet. I don't know how that fight goes. I'm looking forward to that one. Kirby then picks up the Mirror ability, and he goes off to face Heavy Lobster. Poor Heavy Lobster. This is their fourth fight with Kirby, and they were dismantled very fast last time. And unfortunately, Kirby easily dodges Heavy Lobster and beats them from behind, and takes them to pieces with Tack's help. And then the next match is up, and it's not going to be so simple, because it's a rematch with Meta Knight. Kirby doesn't hesitate and instantly grabs the Warp Star to go face Meta Knight and picks up the sword, and they have their duel. Tack puts in a lot of effort to throw his hands at Meta Knight, trying to pull off his armor and cape, which helps distract him while Kirby fights him. For the most part, it goes pretty well. But eventually, Meta Knight has had enough, and he slaps Tack down. But the distraction works, and Kirby's able to cut Meta Knight's mask off again, forcing him to retreat. Kirby then takes in the second Maxim Tomato and patches up Tack. He then picks up another hammer, and they face off against Lolo and La La La. Unfortunately, Kirby's fought them too, too many times, and he easily defeats them again. Like, handedly. And hammerly. <laughs> Kirby and Tack then face off against another set of sub-bosses. It starts with Poppy Bros Sr. So Tack tags in Poppy Bros Jr. to distract him, and Kirby knocks him out with a hammer barrage. That is Mr. Frosty, and he does not enjoy the warm reception of bombs and hammers. Third comes Iron Mom, and her armor is able to handle the same treatment for a little bit at least. Lastly, Jukid comes in to fight and gets horribly battered too. All four sub-bosses are defeated easily, and Kirby goes on to the next fight. He's just getting stronger as this fight goes on, and he's getting scarier. Those bosses were defeated before they could even attack. That's how fast Kirby defeated them. Tack then tags back in, and the pair fly off to face Dynablade. Dynablade has been anxious to have a rematch, and here it is. Kirby's nearly defeated because a hammer is a bad choice to use against Dynablade. But luckily, Tack is able to quickly hand her a defeat. Kirby quickly grabs a Maxim Tomato before flying off to face Wispy Woods. Who goes down with seven hits with a hammer? Poor Wispy. Next up is King Dedede, and Kirby decides hammer versus hammer is the way to go. Kirby and Tack have really become a strong pair as they overwhelm King Dedede. All they let him do is jump once in the air. That's all he does in that fight. King Dedede is utterly shocked by their power as he falls back to the ground. He wakes up later thinking the fight was just a bad dream. Kirby and Tack next handle the combo cannon, and Kirby immediately gets to work crushing the mini cannon first before he going up and destroying the bigger one. He just keeps getting stronger as he defeats each opponent, winning faster and faster. Kirby's next opponents, the Twin Woods, quiver in fear, and they're right to do so because they're defeated within seconds. Kirby and Tack are getting really, really confident now. Next, the pair take on Camellio Arm, and their overconfidence is almost too much. They play way too poorly and way too aggressively, and each get caught in Camellio Arm's tongue at different points in the fight. But fortunately, Camellio Arm is eventually defeated, and he goes down for the third time. 
Jerry then catches his breath and eats a fourth Maxim tomato and shares it with Tack. Only a few fights left now. Up next is Wham Bam Rock, and each side is confident they'll win. Kirby and Tack rush in and immediately counter every attack from Wham Bam Rock. But again, overconfidence sets in and they almost get beat after some bad hits. In the end, they crush Wham Bam Rock and the pair move on. And finally, it's down to the final match. Kirby and Tack versus Marks. Kirby knows he's strong and doesn't take any chances. Despite only being a little hurt, Kirby goes ahead and grabs the last Maxim tomato and shares it with Tack. This is it, the big final rematch. Kirby flies up to the moon and their rematch begins. Don't ask me how everyone's watching this fight, by the way. Quite a few people want to see Kirby lose while others want to see how far the pink pudge can go. Kirby and Tack come out swinging and take minor hits as Marks throws out Crescent attacks and then drops Tendril Seekins. Kirby and Tack block or dodge nearly every attack and make Marks pay for his attacks. Marks then rains down arrows and split bombs, but Kirby's able to minimize the damage with blocks and strikes. Marks desperately tries to open a black hole, but fails too. Marks tries for another arrow rain and Kirby swings through the arrows and slaps Marks into space once again. Luckily for Marks, there's no Nova to crash into though. And with that, Kirby flies back down to the Coliseum with Tack and is awarded the King of Fighting. Kirby holds up a belt with one hand and a champion cup with the other while standing on a pedestal. Kirby proves he is the strongest in all of Popstar. Kirby then goes out and enjoys a big yummy dinner with all his friends and of course has Keiki too. The end. Curiously, the Meta Knights are not a boss fight in this. I guess because they die so easily, but also have been cool to just see them all attack Kirby at once or something. That would have been great. When you win, you're given your time. We finished in under 10 minutes here. I'm curious what the speed run time is. It's probably like three minutes or something, and I need to look this up. Here's the record, everybody. It is 33 minutes and 46 seconds for Kirby Superstar, the game itself. And the fastest time for Arena is three minutes, 33 seconds, and 10 milliseconds. And it was a no damage run at that. That is amazing. That is amazing. And that's the thing about Kirby games. People complain about the difficulty, but you can always just give yourself a challenge like no max and tomatoes or no damage runs or just only suck with Kirby. Those are things you can do. You don't need to have the parameters put in for you. Just do that. So completing arena unlocks the ultimate prize, sound test mode. Doesn't sound great to some people, but it's still a nice prize. I suppose nothing beats Star Allies' prize of 100%ing the game when you get original Kirby, which is really cool to me. The game doesn't formally congratulate you on 100% until Amazing Mirror, by the way. Also, you go to File Select. After playing Arena, you get Kirby and a saying, Fight! If you lose in Arena, you get a shot of Kirby face down on the ground, and he's discouraged. And you're shown how many wins you have while the loser music from Gourmet Race plays. Speaking of losing, if you lose all your lives in Spring Breeze, Dino Blade, Great Cave Offensive, Revenge of Meta Knight, or Milky Way Wishes, you get a continue or end screen with Kirby sleeping. Master Hand indicates your choice at this point, and if you pick Continue, Master Hand takes Kirby's sleeping hat and turns into a party popper, and BOOM! It pops and wakes up Kirby. It points at Kirby to go and waves good luck with the cloth. But if you choose Game End instead, Master Hand gently lifts Kirby from below and lays him on a bed on the moon and gives him a blanket and floats away. I love how cute Kirby games can be at times. This is the second pleasant game over screen you get. The first one was in Dreamland 2, where they let Kirby and his animal friends sleep. The original was pretty violent though, where Master Hand flicks Kirby away in Dreamland, and the most violent ending has to be Master Hand crushing Kirby under a giant star in Kirby's dream course. So what is there to say about sound test? Well, there are 65 songs, 248 sound effects to choose from. Kirby's dressed up like a little conductor and it is very cute. And since there's no special tracks in this one, I'll mention Smash Bros for fun. The sound test in Smash Brothers has hidden dialogue, like Fox and his team having a conversation. Just letting you know about that. And a reminder, we will have a bonus episode for ranking all 65 songs and giving why. Before we get to the credits, I think the only thing left to mention is the helper ability items. I don't think I said them anywhere. These are the items that Kirby throws when he dumps a power and can be used to change your helper. So let's just list them all off and we're going to go alphabetically based on the powers. And they are Beam Scepter, a Bomb, Tax Thief Sack, the Cutter Hat, a Boxing Glove, the Fire Hat, a Hammer, the Ice Hat, a Toy Jet, Mirror Scepter, a Kabuto, Kabutos are the Ninja Hats, a Parasol, the Plasma Hat, a rock with Rocky's Hachimaki on it, a wrestling belt, a sheathed sword, a wheel, a feather headdress, and a ball cap. And you can easily guess which power goes to one of those items. All that's left now is to talk about the credits, and my theory on who may be the voice of Tedia, which is the second mic ability. And any last facts or interesting things to talk about, like things that were cut from the game or glitches, before doing the rankings and personal thoughts to finish this all out. So we'll do the credits in order as we see them in Spring Breeze and Milky Way Wishes. I'll also describe the Kirby they used for each credit. So first up is the director himself, Masahiro Sakurai. What can I say really about him that we don't already know? This would be his third game ever and his third time as director. 
Aside from being an advisor one time and game designer twice, Sakurai is always the director of his games. One more fact about Sakurai is that he met his future wife Machiko Takahashi when she joined HAL, and her first game was as designer for Kirby Star Stacker. That's the next game on our list for game episodes, by the way. From here, Sakurai will work on Super Smash Bros. for the N64, and will not return to Kirby until Nightmare in Dreamland six years later after the release of Superstar. The Kirby for director is Kirby with a scene board, which looks pretty cool. It's, it's cute to see Kirby in these different forms. So then we have six programmers. This Kirby is sitting at a computer with code, and he has a sweat drop. Real quick, though Satoru Iwata isn't credited as a programmer, he usually did help with programming when he was needed on all HAL games before he left to join Nintendo. So most likely he did work on Kirby, just not credited for it. So first the programmers is Tetsuya Abe. We've seen him before. He worked on Kirby's Adventure and Dream Course. He started with HAL in 1988 doing Agerland, which is a low-low game. And he'll program a few more Kirby games before becoming project manager, which is still his role to this day. He was project manager for Kirby Star Allies in 2018, and then became localization manager. Second programmer is Jinichi Aoyagi, and he is an interesting mystery. Kirby Superstar was his first game, and then he disappears until we play and we sports on the development environment team in 2006. While this was 1996, that's 10 year difference. Then he disappears again until 2014 with a special thanks in Triple Deluxe, and then technical support for Kirby's Blowout Blast. That's a random career. They must be some kind of freelancer. The third programmer is Masakazu Ebihara, and they only programmed two games, Kirby Superstar in 1996 and Smash Bros. Melee in 2001. Another freelancer, probably. Or they never got a break, who knows? Fourth programmer, Tadayuki Gunji, who we talked about before. He started as a programmer for Kirby's Adventure, and then did Kirby's Dream Course before Superstar. He'll program a few more times before becoming a project manager. His last project was Picross 3D Round 2 in 2015. Abe was the project manager of everything Kirby while he was manager of Picross. He was also the director of Picross 3D in 2009. The fifth programmer is Isao Takahashi. He did lots of programming under HAL, starting with Superstar. He becomes a production assistant over many games and eventually the project manager for Kirby Fighters 2. Sixth programmer, Akio Hanyu, programmed for HAL since 1985, didn't touch Kirby as a programmer until Adventure. He would program a dozen more Kirby games and work on Smash Bros. Melee. His last game was technical support for Star Allies. And lastly is the chief programmer who was Shigenobu Kasai, who's a curious career. They were a programmer and scriptwriter on Arcana for HAL. Then they programmed on Kirby's Adventure, and here they were chief programmer for Superstar. There'll be technical support for Kirby's Air Ride and program director for Kirby Superstar Ultra. Later, they'll get a special thanks for Triple Deluxe and Star Allies. I'm curious why they got those special thanks. Next up, we have three designers, and the Kirby for this one is the prototype for Artist Kirby, in my interpretation. He has a paintbrush, and paint is dripping off of it. He has a beret, and he holds a palette in his other hand, by the way, which is pretty cute. So first designer is Kazu Ozawa. A curious career. They started as character designer on Adventure, then designer for Superstar and Smash Bros. 64. Then they got to be chief designer for Star Stacker before going on to be graphic designer for random Pokemon games. Second designer, Hido Takashita. This was their first game. They also designed for Kirby 64, Nightmare in Dreamland, and Kirby's Air Ride, and that's it. Last designer, Tetsuya Mochizuki, is someone we will be seeing a lot. Superstar was their first game. They'll design 10 other Kirby games and also designed for Picross 3D. They also did designs for Smash Melee and Ultra. The newest credit is technical support for Kirby Star Allies, so they got to work for HAL for a very long time. Next up is four CG designers, and this Kirby is half a Kirby while the other half is wireframe and an arrow pointing at him. The first CG designer is Hitoshi Kakawa. This dude's got 21 credits, all under HAL. He started as a debugger on Shanghai in 1989 for HAL. Then he started being a designer with Arcana in 1992, moving on to CG designer with Kirby Superstar. Then he was the character designer for Super Smash Bros. on Mario, Luigi, Fox, Yoshi, Pikachu, Kirby, and Jigglypuff's models. He also made the motions for Mario, Luigi, and Yoshi. Then we'll see him in almost every Kirby game as a designer. He then became level designer for Box Boy and did the drafts for the sequels. His newest credit is design for Kirby Star Allies. Second CG designer is Tatsuhiro Tanoe, and they only worked on Hell games for six games. That was Superstar, 64, Canvas Curse, Picross 3D, Return to Dreamland, and Blowout Blast. Third CG designer is Shigeru Hashiguchi, and he has 25 credits and all under Hell. Starting with Arcana in 1992 as director and scriptwriter. That's right, he directed Arcana. Then he did design for various Kirby games starting with Adventure. Their last design game was Return to Dreamland. They then went on to team support from 2016 to 2020 with every game under Hell. So their newest game credit is Kirby Fighters 2. The last CG designer is Tadashi Hashikura, and just like Hitoshi, they have 20 credits and nearly all of them are Kirby jobs or Smash Brothers. 
His newest credit is 2018 with the motif design of Kirby Star Allies. He did the effects design for Samus, DK, Fox, Kirby, and Pikachu in Smash 64, and he's designed a ton of characters or motifs for Kirby over the years. The chief designer is Tsuyoshi Wakayama, and he started with HAL in 1990 and worked on a bunch of Kirby and Smash Bros. games as designer or chief designer. He was the chief designer for Smash 64, by the way, and his last job was designer for Planet Robobot. Next up are two sound composers, and the Kirby for this one is Kirby at a piano, listening to music and reading a sheet. The first composer is the legendary Jun Ishikawa. He's been with HAL since 1989, and he has worked on nearly every single HAL and Kirby game. It might sound wrong, but you can tell which games he didn't compose songs for because they only have one or two memorable songs instead of most of them being so. Think your favorite Kirby song. Very high chance he made it. Think your top three Kirby songs. Guaranteed at least one is his. His newest credit is the current newest game, which is of course Kirby Fighters 2. The other composer is Dan Miyakawa, and he only worked on two games, Kirby Superstar in 1996 and Sokuden Te in 2008. He made the opening theme for that game, and that's it. Next up are the two mappers, and the first mapper is very important. They are, of course, Shinichi Shimomura, the man, the myth, the father of the Dark Matter trilogy, which are Kirby's Dreamland 2, 3, and Kirby 64. He started out working on Hyperzone, then going on to be a map designer for Kirby's Adventure. He then designed for Pinball Land, then map designer for Dream Course and Dreamland 2, while being director of Dreamland 2 as well, then being the mapper under Sakurai for Superstar. He will then direct Dreamland 3 and 64 to complete the Dark Matter trilogy, and lastly, they will work as director of Nightmare on Dreamland before retiring. Only in recent years have people found a picture that is confirmed to be him, and I actually know some things about him that I'm not allowed to share, but I can say he's still alive. Generally, people theorize that he died, but people more in the know think he quit in protest because Iwata and Sakurai got promoted, and here he is making main Kirby games, but he ends up not being rewarded with a promotion. This is actually something that's common in business where you resign in protest because you didn't get a promotion, and it's most likely what happened with him. The second mapper is Tomomi Minami, and this is a rare breed for the time. This is a female game dev. She works at HAL to this day, by the way. She first started as a mapper for Superstar, and next she'll work on Dreamland 3 as mapper. Then moving on to design jobs for 64, Nightmare in Dreamland, and Kirby's Air Ride. Landing design director for Canvas Curse, by the way, which is pretty nice then becoming a motif designer for every Kirby game between Return to Dreamland and Kirby Star Allies. And at the moment, I theorize she may be the second ever voice of Kirby. Sakurai did Chesto, and I think she may be the one who did Tadia. Tadia is clearly a female voice, and she's the only female on staff at this time. Unless it's one of the special thanks people. That is the only other way you can theorize around this. So there are 17 special thanks in total, and we see 14 in-game and 3 are in the Japanese manual. And I'll say a quick thing special about each person. Interestingly, since we're early in the Kirby games, some of these people will be more significant in time. Hiroaki Suga is a longtime HAL employee who started as a sound driver for F1 Race in 1984. HAL was founded in 1980, so he was around since the start. He was chief programmer of Kirby's Adventure and will be programmer for the next Kirby game Star Stacker. I'm guessing he helped a little while he was working on that, and he'll eventually become a producer or supervisor for future Kirby games up to Planet Robobot. Tetsuo Kujiraoka will be project manager for Kirby's Air Ride and do some work under Pokemon and that's it. This is their only special thanks. Hidetoshi Seki programmed the tools for Kirby's Adventure. They'll work on the development environment team for Wii Play and Wii Sports, and we'll see them again in Canvas Curse's special thanks and as technical support for Superstar Ultra. Yoshiaki Shinohara will get a special thanks for Smash 64 and be programmer for Pokemon Snap and that's it. Shigeru Hirayama. This is their only special thanks. They'll also be on the development environment team for Wii Play and Sports, then they have no credits until 2016, where they work on every HAL game to the present on team support. Seiji Otoguro was programmer for Kirby's Adventure, Dream Course, Earthbound, and Dreamland 2 up to this point. They'll eventually program Air Ride, Canvas Curse, and Ultra. Then they move on to team support of many HAL games in the 2000s and 2010s, and they recently moved on to localization management with Super Kirby Clash and Kirby Fighters 2. At Sushi Kakuta, we talked about him before in Block Ball and Dreamland 2. He was project manager for those games and will be again in Star Stacker. He then supervises Nightmare in Dreamland, management support for Air Ride, and his last job was supervisor for Squeak Squad. Takashi Saito was the director of Kirby's Dream Course and character designer for Adventure. He started with HAL in 1988, designing for Agerland. He'll be project manager for Kirby 64 and then work on Wii Play and Sports and Development Environment Team, which will be his last job. But he'll still get special thanks in Smash Melee, Canvas Curse, Ultra, and Smash Ultimate. Yoshimi Takahashi basically has the exact same credits as Seiji Otoguro. I think I actually mentioned this in the Kirby's Dream Course or Dreamland 2 credits before. They programmed the same games as Seiji Otoguro did and joined the team support for Kirby games in 2010. 
Satoshi Yoshida will be on a ton of special things. Starting with New Ghostbusters 2 in 1990, their first Kirby credit is Kirby's Dream Course. They were on the debugging team for Earthbound, and they will be in the credits for public relations in many HAL games. So they've been with HAL for decades and mostly get recognized in special thanks. Their newest special thanks is in Kirby Star Allies, Super Kirby Clash, and Kirby Fighters 2. Chieko Obakane, same as Ishida, will be getting a lot of special thanks. First one was on Kirby's Dream Course. They're also in public relations and was also on the debugging team for Earthbound. Their newest special thanks is Kirby Fighters 2 as well. Hiro Yamada is an interesting one. He also had a special thanks in Kirby's Avalanche. He has lots of special thanks credits with his newest one being Smash Bros. Ultimate. Man has a wild career. He's done the translation or localization for lots of games and likely special thanks are a way to thank him since not all games give credit for that. He's also been an advisor or supervisor for many Nintendo games. Random facts is he did the voices of Killer Instinct characters and he coordinated the Skyward Sword HD release. Jim Warnell got a special thanks in Dream Course and will again in Dreamland 3. He's done the localization for Star Fox 64, artwork for some Nintendo collections, and he's done the packaging or manuals for so many sports games. One can assume he worked on the US manual. The last special thanks credit from the game is Kayomi McDonald with various special thanks on many games. This is their only Kirby special thanks though. They have a credit on Kirby's Avalanche for translation, and they have a lot of translation credits. So likely the translation for Kirby Superstar. The Japanese manual had three more special thanks which were Yasuhiro Sakai, who got a special thanks for Kirby's Adventure. Most of his credits are for manual work, so likely the credit was for manual work with Superstar. Shigeki Yamashiro had a special thanks in Kirby's Dream Course. He has many more special thanks in other games. Around the time of Superstar, he did various support roles and eventually became a producer or executive producer of many Nintendo games in the Nintendo Software Technology Division. This division made the Mario vs. Donkey Kong games, Wave Race, and Metroid Prime Hunters. His first job was programming, F-Zero, and his newest credit is for Bowser's Fury. Lastly is Takuya Kurabayashi, mostly did technical support and likely got a special thanks for that. Next is two advisor credits, which has Kirby asleep at a table with T next to him. First is Kensuke Tanabe, who is a legend in Nintendo. As I said in other gaming episodes, this man has over 200 credits. Over 200 games this man has credited for. He will have a credit on nearly every Kirby game. He started out as a director for Doki Doki Panic and thus became the director of Super Mario Bros. 2. He did script writing for Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, and Link's Awakening. He did various other jobs like supervising Kirby's block ball and advising on the screenplay for Mario RPG. He eventually became a producer in the early 2000s and produced everything. His newest credit is for Paper Mario Origami King and he's working on Metroid Prime 4 right now. The second advisor is Takao Shimizu. Not as many credits, but he still did a lot. His biggest known successes are directing Star Fox 64 and Pokemon Stadium. This was his last Kirby credit. His newest credit is that he directed the UI systems for NES and SNES Classic Editions. The project manager credit is Kirby sweating as he works on a board. And this is Ryuki Kadaoka. And they will be project manager again for Dreamland 3, Star Stacker, Smash Bros. 64, Melee, and Kirby's Air Ride. He'll debug or test some of the 2000s Kirby games. The producer's credits are Satoru Iwata and Shigeru Miyamoto. These guys are, of course, both legends. The image is Kirby looking at the sunset from an executive desk. And these guys deserve their own episodes. Especially, of course, Iwata when it comes to Hell, while Miyamoto is, well, the father of Mario. And, of course, Link. Satoru Iwata was a founding member of HAL, and he led HAL when Kirby was born. He was an amazing programmer that you need to thank for Earthbound getting finished, and for his achievements in Pokemon, while also keeping HAL from dying. He eventually becomes a president of Nintendo, and Shigeru Miyamoto, of course, like I just said, fathered Mario and Link's franchises. He was instrumental in the creation of hundreds of games. No one has more credits than Miyamoto, except for, of course, the final credit on this list. And he, of course, was an advisor when it came to many Kirby games. Then there's the executive producer, and it isn't Kirby in this credit, no, it's Mario doing the V sign, and the word Nintendo in front of him. Hiroshi Yamauchi, the president of Nintendo, the man in charge of Nintendo for 52 years. He made Satoru Iwata his successor, and he saw Nintendo through from NES to GameCube. He was there for a very long time, and he's the one who chose to not make his successor someone in his bloodline. Before that, it was only Yamauchi's. So that's a very interesting thing there. And that is it for the credits. All that's left is a little bit of information here and there, and personal thoughts. Kirby Superstar had nine game guides. These guides range from just telling you all the secrets and information of the game, to original comics and illustrations for the game. We're able to share the pre-renders from one of these books, because thankfully someone scanned them. As for cut content, there's various color palettes and backgrounds that got cut. Interestingly, the Mido sign for advisor credit was taken out for international releases. Don't know why. And also, the arena title had more animation in the Japanese version. Don't know why they cut that out either. When it comes to glitches, there's three really interesting ones. They are the Marks glitch, 
the triple zero glitch, and the wheelie glitch. There's a number of glitches that only happen in the Japanese version. The only one we're going to talk about is the triple zero, because that one's the most interesting one. And the reason why there's a lot of Japanese-only glitches is because they were there before localization happened. So they localized the game eventually. It took a couple months, and during that time they were able to fix more bugs. So that's why the US version and international versions in general usually have less bugs than the Japanese versions. So good for us. There were a couple ways to crash the game, but the worst was the ladder glitch. If you hit up and down at the same time on a ladder, it would crash the game. And make matters worse, it would also reduce your game files to zero. Essentially erasing all progress. This was only in the Japanese version. And oh my god, yeah, hitting both buttons, which should not be easily possible to do, if you do it, bam, crash the game, lost all your progress. That's mean. That is very mean. Thankfully, you know, we didn't have that here for me. Now, the Marx glitch is really interesting. If you perform a grab on Marx's split bomb at just the right time, you can grab the orb. But if you grab it at the perfectly right time, the ball becomes Marx. It looks silly, and here's footage of it. It just looks really silly. It's hard to do with suplex, it's way easier to do with jet. But you can also do the grab with other items, apparently. Now, the wheelie glitch is interesting. After defeating Meta Knight and Revenge of Meta Knight, make a helper just as the stage fades, and that helper will be wheelie instead of wheelie. What I mean by that is, that helper is going to be wheelie. And it's really weird. Here's the footage. And depending on the helper that you use, is what happens. Blade Knight gets you, well, a Blade Knight-looking guy, but Waddle D is... Nightmare Fuel. Oh my god, I had to show you that because what the heck is that? There's other glitches I'll mention, like you can make Kirby swim in the air, you can make an invisible bomb, invisible mirror Kirby, and you can cause a lot of bad loads in the game like fighting marks early and causing glitches. But if you want a comprehensive video on all glitches in Kirby Superstar and Ultra, I suggest checking out A Plus Start's Son of a Glitch videos. It was really interesting to see those because I saw these glitches mostly in writing, I never encountered them myself, and thankfully someone made a video on them, so I was able to watch them go like, Oh, wow, that's interesting. So check them out if you want to see these glitches, like all of them, not just the ones I mentioned here. Now it's time for the rankings, and we will be doing three rankings. Kirby Superstar is ranked among the mainline Kirby games. Kirby Superstar ranked overall, and then the rankings of all the games inside Kirby Superstar. That should be fun. So we're going to rank the mainline games first, and there's only four mainline games at the moment. That's Dreamland, Dreamland 2, Adventure, and Kirby Superstar. Dreamland is fourth because it is the first one, and because it is, of course, the weakest one, because not everything is hammered out yet with this concept. We don't have copy abilities yet. We don't have the Animal Friends. We don't have the Omnibus. None of that stuff. It's the first game. But I still love this given nostalgia. Like, I played it when I was like six, and then I didn't play Kirby for a while. Well, I played like random Kirby games, but then I came back to Kirby Dreamland when I was 15 or 16, and for some reason, nostalgia made me cry. So I do love Dreamland, but it is last place when it comes to the mainline game. Third place is Dreamland 2. You got the Animal Friends. You fight the swordsman. That's really fun right there. It's pretty cool. Adventure is second place. Nightmare is epic. A lot of the great ideas coming up, of course, are built from Adventure. But then Superstar is number one because all the great ideas that weren't made by Adventure are built here. <laughs> really is. Oh, or that weren't built in Dreamland 2. Dreamland 2 gave you the animal friends and kind of power mixing. Adventure gave you copy abilities, of course. And, of course, the big epic bosses at the end. King Dedede, as much as everyone loves him, he's not an epic boss compared to Nightmare, are you kidding me? Next, we'll do the overall list. And this is all nine games we've covered so far. So ninth place is Kirby's Toy Box, because Kirby's Toy Box is barely games. Kirby's Block Ball, as much as I enjoy Block Ball, it is not the best game. Avalanche is seventh place. Avalanche is kind of fun, but not so great, like the Mean Bean Machine, it's, it's alright. Sixth place is Pinball Land. I do enjoy Pinball Land. But it's not, it's not in the top half. Then we got Dreamland for 5th, Dreamland 2 for 4th, Kirby's Adventure for 3rd, Kirby's Dream Course is 2nd. That's right, the spin-off Kirby's Dream Course is 2nd place for me. Because this game has the highest skill ceiling. It takes a lot of effort to get really good at Dream Course. Kirby games aren't easy games by default, in my opinion. There's a lot that can make them harder, you can give your own challenges, but this is the one that challenges you directly. Dream Course is very fun, multiplayer is also very fun. And the fact you can play it on Switch Online is pretty nice, so you can check out why I think it's so good, or to watch the Dream Course episode to see why I think it's so good. Remember, these are all the games we covered so far, so we have episodes for all these. You can see what my opinions are and all the facts about all these games right now if you want. And first place is Kirby Superstar. Kirby Superstar sets the standard for everything, and arguably, Ultra is the only one that might usurper it for now. And then later down the line, who knows? Because I know people really love Planet Robobot, people love Triple Deluxe, I love Triple Deluxe. People really like, of course, Epic Yarn. There's some really good Kirby games that could take first place. 
But right now, it is Kirby Superstar. But is it really an argument anyway? Like, Superstar was just a really, really good game. The game modes were fun, the bosses are entertaining the fight, the music is amazing, the game sets the standard for future titles, the boss rush mode, and everything. There's just so much there. They did a wonderful job with Kirby Superstar. Now for the last ranking, the third ranking, that is, the games themselves in Superstar. Where do I rank them? There are nine games in total. So ninth place is Samurai Kirby. I enjoy it, but it's only got so much to do. It's just a fun game, but that's it. Eighth is Megaton Punch. Same reasoning, but I enjoy destroying Popstar more than Samurai Kirby. Seventh is Gourmet Race. It's basically a single-player sub-game. It has one of my favorite songs of all time. And that's it. Like, it's just fun, but once you memorize it, you memorize the course, and that's it. So now all's left with the main games to get serious here. Sixth place is Spring Breeze, because it's really fast and fun. There's nothing else about it. Fifth is Dynablade. It's an interesting time, but it's not the most exciting main game. Fourth is Great Cave Offensive. As much as I enjoy all the treasure hunting, this one just drags on a bit. But I like the references. Third is the arena. Who doesn't enjoy boss rush mode? Very fun. So here's the final two. Who's second, who's first? And the answer is for me. And you can say what you think in comments in the YouTube version or in the podcast side. Milkway wishes second place. This game is really epic and I'm happy with so much of it, but it does miss one very important thing that Revenge of Men Knight has. But it is fun to be able to just have unlimited power with Kirby, and that's pretty great right there. And the Marks fight is, of course, epic. But first place is Revenge of Meta Knight. This game has a lot of great songs, interesting boss fights. The duel with Meta Knight at the end is very great. But what makes it my favorite mode? <laughs> the dialogue. Kirby is John Wick. Everyone's scared of him. We get to hear the bad guys freak out about Kirby over and over again. It makes the player feel powerful and feared. You understand just how scared everyone is of Kirby and his unlimited potential. He's a force to be reckoned with, and you know it. And also, again, the game has really great songs. So lastly is personal thoughts on this game and this podcast episode series. Kirby Superstar was an important game in the Kirby legacy, and important to me as well. It set many concepts for future titles and gave us lots of great music that is still entertaining to this day, and so many of these songs get remixed over and over and over again into the future. This is also my number one pick for the SNES outside of RPGs, and then I'd have to really think about what is the best one. Is this the best game, or is Mario RPG the best game, or is it one of the Final Fantasy games, or Chrono Trigger? SNES had so many amazing RPGs, and Superstar just stands up there with them. I just don't know who is number one. I'd have to really think about it, like I just said. And so with that, we have finally finished our series on Kirby Superstar. It was really fun to learn everything there is about Kirby Superstar. I hope you enjoyed that too. When the script was finished, I wrote over 50,000 words for this game. Can you believe that? Kirby is said 1,728 times in total in this script. That many times. Thank you everyone who listened or watched this entire series, and since you made it this far, you should share us with everyone who likes Kirby. We can be found on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and more. And don't forget, next episode will be this bonus episode of Kirby Superstar OST ranking episode. And that one I do not count towards this series or script, although it will be at the end of this playlist for sure. Thank you to Jinx, the editor of these podcasts, who also painstakingly works on all the footage for the YouTube side of things. It's a lot of work, but I think it's a lot of fun too, but also a lot of work. And Jinx just does so much, so thank you to her for everything she's done. I had fun, I hope you had fun too, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time. Thank you.